family is all that lives in sight and sound, touch and taste. Live, come on, be human and give, give, give. <laughs> the Woodstock Roundtable welcomes you to be a part of being human. Aho! Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Woodstock Roundtable. No storm can keep us off the air. It's actually quite a winter wonderland out there. And uh, we have lots to talk about this morning. We will do two hours of conversational improvisation. Uh, joining me will be our two illustrious co-hosts. Uh, she is our poet laureate, Victoria Sullivan. He is an on-air warrior here at Radio Woodstock, Ron Van Warmer. Among the topics we'll be discussing, Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Why is that particularly relevant for the current Congress? We'll let you know. And that gets us into a little bit of mythology. We'll talk about the difference between a myth and a parable. It's quite an interesting and important difference in terms of how our heads work. We will also uh, find out about an interesting experience Ron had medically, which was actually quite nice, and that will remind me of a story I'll tell. At any rate, we have lots to talk about, and we'll have some music as well. Uh, the Sultan of Sonic Soul has sent us in some live, some recorded jazz that he did live, so we'll hear from Gus Mancini later. We'll have a wrap-up with our favorite street philosopher, Patrick Carlin. There's no storm that ever kept him at home. He creates storms. He doesn't get stopped by storms. And <clears throat> uh, interesting, uh, we're going to open up the Woodstock Roundtable musical jukebox for some interesting play. Hang out with us here at the Woodstock Roundtable. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, Doug. Victoria is in the warmth of her (laughs) cottage in Saugerties, um, we discouraged her from braving the elements today, and Ron and I made it in from Kingston. Um, and, uh, you know, for those just waking up, uh, I think a little less snow than they predicted. Yeah, it looked like about six inches to me. Um, it was very light snow. Yeah, it's snow about eight where I am. I'm right. Well, I'm up the mountain, so right. I maybe got a little more. But it's very light snow, which was good, yeah. shoveling. But here's the tricky part. If you're thinking of going out, don't. Uh, when I got here to the station, it was actually raining. Yeah. And that's not a good thing because this is going to freeze, and there's no defense against icy roads. Um, and it's only 24 degrees or somewhere around there. Right. But it's, so it's, it's going to be freezing. Right. So, um, uh, I mean, but the Department of Transportation here did a great job. The Amazing. roads were, one, were just really clear. Slow and, and steady gets there, but they were clearer than I've seen them this early in the morning because i i drive in here often in snowstorms early and uh, this was the, the roads were better than a, you know so as far as being cleared however there are some icy patches absolutely uh, and, slow and steady and there's no real defense against that no. so if you don't have to drive it's a good day to stay indoors yeah and listen mm-hmm. to uh woodstock roundtable why not <laughs> uh it's 
sometimes good for your health, not always. <laughs> uh, at any rate, um, lots of talk. I want to get, uh, Victoria, have you ever had su- surgery? Uh, I've had, yeah, a couple of things. Okay, because it's interesting. I was asking Ron how, you know, I knew he had some minor <laughs> surgery. I didn't know what. So I asked him this morning, you know, how he's doing because of shoveling and stuff. And uh, he started telling me a very interesting story. He said, stop, we'll use that as our opening because it reminded me of the one experience I had with surgery, which is extremely positive. Yeah. And normally we hear of horror stories, you know, of hospitals and surgeries and stuff. So, Ron, what would well, you just go through? You know, I, I had, it's, it's something you don't talk about. I don't know. There's something about hernia that just, it's like sciatica. You don't want to have it. And so, right. so, so I had it. So I, so I had the hernia. So I had the operation, which the, the, the doctor said to me, he said, well, you know, uh, it won't get better and it'll only get worse. So what exactly is Ron, a hernia? Ron, tell us exactly what a hernia is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's a tear in the wall near your intestine, which your intestine can okay. then come through. And okay. if it does come through and it twists, then it becomes really nasty and they have to do like sur- emergency surgery because you could die from it. So wow. this <laughs> one was just a small hole. And what they do is they cut <coughs> you open and they put in a little mesh. And the doctor said, so, you know, 10,000 years from now, when they turn, when they dig up your body, they're going to find your teeth and this mesh. That's all that's going to be left. Mm-hmm. What's it made of, the mesh? Uh, something that will last 10,000 years. <laughs> you know what? Plastic. Yeah. That's <laughs> why we have smartphones and why Google runs the earth. Let's see here. But, uh, but I, will ask, uh, I will ask Google, hang on here. Yeah. What material is used for mesh for hernia operations? <laughs> it says here. Uh, if it lasts ten thousand years, I think it's <clears throat> plastic. That's why it. The first know, it answer I got was silly putty. Hang on, silicone perhaps. <laughs> Nylon was the first plastic material used as a suture. Uh-huh. Was later woven into mesh for hernia repair. Uh-huh. I don't know if but I don't know if that's contemporary. Right. Um, let's try what is. Surgical mesh is a screen-like material used as a reinforcement for tissue or bone. It can be made of synthetic polymers or biopolymers, which are plastics. (laughs) Materials for surgical mesh include non-absorbable synthetic polymers. There you go. There you go. So it's it's a simple, pretty simple operation, and it was done in a in a little clinic. The doctor calls it the dungeon because it's down in the basement. I'd never nice. been. I'd never had surgery before, so it was. Do they of, chain you to the table? I, actually, yes, <laughs> they do. Was there a guy named Igor? <laughs> very nice people, but they do tie you down. Actually, I guess because mm. you know they don't want you moving during operation. Right. So wait, they tied you down before they put you under? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kinky. That's better I know. And better. It was fun, but uh, I'd never been in an operating room before, so it was. You know, I was kind of excited about it, and they had that machine that goes ping. You know, which every operating room should have, and there it was. I was really pretty excited about that, and the light. You know, the light above. And well, wait a minute. Then was it general anesthesia? It or was. Local? It was general, so I didn't get to experience it for very long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they, they. Uh, I tried to stay awake because I thought it would be fun. You know, to like fight the anesthesia, mm-hmm. but it was fruitless. I was, I was asleep, and I woke up. You know, uh, two hours later without having realized anything had happened. It's mm-hmm. amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it was great. It was, it was actually a good experience. And so now, after you know, my entire life, I've experienced surgery, I've experienced an operating room, and uh, it was great. And I feel good. Of course, you didn't have to go into a <laughs> hospital, which can be an issue. Right. That was the best <clears throat> part, too. I didn't have to go into a hospital. You know? It was you know, just um, a little clinic. Well, and how do you feel now? 
Well, I feel fine. Um, you, pushing, had sho- you had to do a lot of shoveling this morning. <laughs> I, huh? I didn't do a lot of shoveling. Oh. I did a little teeny tiny bit, just enough to get out. Um, and I probably shouldn't have, but there you go. Right. I think they tell you not to for a little while. Oh, they do, surgery. yeah. Oh, they do. Yeah. They, they tell okay. you don't pick up anything uh, more than five pounds for the first week and then 10 pounds the second week. And, you know, mm. five pounds isn't very much. That's, that's like a, a, a gallon of milk. So uh-huh. there's not much you can do for the first week. But, uh, I don't. I don't want to startle you, but there is smoke coming out of your ears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Um, it's, I'll be fine. Yeah, Victoria, did you ever? Well, have, congratulations. Did oh, you well, ever have you. Uh, any serious surgery or just minor? Oh boy, Doug, you're really going. <laughs> 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 well, it, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. you don't have to describe it. I'm just curious because I'm going to tell my story, and I had a great experience <laughs> with surgery. I, I had surgery once. It was about 25 years ago, and it was it was an amazing experience. Yeah. I, I, I don't know that I've had any wonderful surgery, Doug, but I'm pretty hardy. Once it's over, I sort of come back to life. Well, I'll give you my... I, I haven't told this story in a long time. I like to recycle <laughs> my stories because I'm an environmentalist. You know? Yeah. Uh, at any rate, this is about 25 years ago. I was doing a trivia event down in the city. And the event was uh, kind of in, in an in a, in a, uh, event space of a, of a restaurant called Sidewalkers. And the reason the restaurant's called Sidewalkers is they were famous for crab. Ah, yeah. gotcha. So um, I go in, and I'm in a, um, I mean, it's a trivia event in the city, so I'm dressed, you know, nice clothes. And I'm looking at the menu, and I'm not the biggest fan of crab, but I'm figuring I'm in a crab specialty, but I got to have crab. Sure. But, I don't want to mess myself up. I don't care if they give me a bib or whatever. So I don't want to be cracking shells and stuff. Uh-huh. So I look at the menu and I see they have a crab salad. And I go, well, there you go. I'm taking advantage of the specialty of the restaurant. New York City has the greatest restaurants in the world. Um, and I'm not going to mess myself up. So out comes the crab salad. And I take my first bite. And um, two things uh, became immediately apparent. One, it was delicious. And two, there was a searing pain in my throat. Mmm. So <clears throat> I'm thinking, whoa, did, is there a, sh- did, a, shell? a shell? So I go into the men's room. I try to look down. I can't see anything. But every time I uh, swallow, there is an absolute searing, burning pain. And now, rewind a little bit. About 15 years before that, back in the, this is back in the 70s, um, I was with my girlfriend at the time at a, at a Chinese restaurant. And I guess I was at a fish dish, and a fish bone had scratched my esophagus, mm. and it was very painful. But when I went to the doctor, he looked. He said, "No, it's it'll just heal itself." So I assumed that I had just scratched my esophagus. Now I had a trivia event to do, <clears throat> but just in case, I called up my doctor on the phone. He said, "Are you breathing okay?" I said, "Yes." He said, "Okay, then it's not an emergency. Do the show." <laughs> I said, yeah, but now I have a two-hour ride home. He said, look, if, you, if you're worried, you go to an emergency room of a hospital, but you're in New York City, I don't recommend it. If you, don't, if, if you right. can get home, get home and call me in the morning. But if you're concerned after the show, go to an emergency room. Okay. You know what happens, Victoria. You, you're a performer, and um, the show must go on, and you get your adrenaline. Adrenaline races through you. And I, I got through the trivia event fine, even though every time I swallowed, there was searing pain. Now I have to drive home for two hours. But I got the adrenaline going. I get home. I get to sleep. I wake up. It's worse. Mm. I call up my doctor. He said, you drive, drive immediately to the hospital, and I will 
take care of everything. He was a general practitioner. He called up a guy he knew who was a great surgeon. surgeon. Uh, um, and I went in, <clears throat> and this is this is all a true story. I go in, and it was um, an Indian doctor. Uh-huh. Very nice guy, but I couldn't really understand him. <laughs> and he x-rays me, and he goes, you, you, no problem, you fine, right? Mm. I hear a voice from another room say, wait a minute. And a guy comes out and he says, listen, I, I recognize your voice. I listen to your show. Ah. And just humor me. I'd like you to do a barium swallow. Okay? Okay. I said, okay, I'll humor you. So you take this stuff, it's like milk of magnesia, and what it does is then they put you in front of an x-ray or whatever. And he, and he, right, and you light up. You light up. Right. And I hear him from behind a screen go, Oh, wow, <laughs> which is not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> no. He said, you're not going to believe this. I said, try me. He shows me an image of this huge shell lodged mm-hmm. in my esophagus. Wow. Wow. He goes, um, you're getting operated on today. Wow. So they cart me in, and the whole process was just sort of like a dream. It was like, it was very quick they put it was the first time i was doing general anesthesia uh-huh. and i remember them pricking my arm and saying count down from 10 to zero and i got to about seven and that's the last i remember <laughs> i never even got to two <laughs> <laughs> right so i wake up they say everything was successful you need to spend two days in the hospital and well they put me in a semi-private room with three other gentlemen, all of whom had serious issues, <laughs> and, and groaning and moaning, oh. and I and I felt fine. Uh-huh. So I called up my girlfriend. I said, "Come get me." Um, and I started getting dressed, and the nurse said, you, "You're not discharged yet." I said, "You want to bet?" <laughs> and I just left. Um, so and I was fine. Yeah. But imagine that. Um, oh, I thought there'd be another part of the story where you suddenly started vomiting blood or something. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, no. But the point was, had that guy... So I, I asked this... I became friends with this doctor who said, I listen uh-huh. to the show, just humor me. Because the first doctor said, based on this, just go ahead, well, you're fine. I said... What did he do? He looked down your throat and he didn't see anything? All I can tell the you is what... One? I, yeah. And um, so I, I said to this guy who saved, I said, what would I said, it turned out I had another event that I was going to fly to like in three days. He said, well, um, if you had gone in a plane and depressurized and it, and, and it moved a little bit, you could have choked to death. Hey, wow. Wow. I mean, that shell was like the size of a bigger than a dime. Did you save it? For a while, I did. I still don't have it. They did give it to me. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, it was lodged right in there. Wow. From a from a crab salad. Phew. But the whole thing was really cool. I mean, they didn't stop me. You know, they didn't have armed guards there to stop me. They said, you're not discharged. I said, want to bet? Yeah. Well. And I got the hell out of there because I didn't want to lay in a bed with three peop- three guys moaning, <laughs> you know, like they were, you know, whatever. And um, I enjoyed the whole experience. I thought it was interesting. It was It was well worth it. You know, just to have had that experience. And I got to stay home and stay in bed for three days, which was You gave like, yourself permission. Who does that? Never. You guys have had some very positive experiences. <laughs> and yeah. yours not so much. 
I congratulate you. Yeah. Well, well, just giving birth to children twice is, you know, uh, like enough of an assault on your body. Right. Uh, something I would never <laughs> want to do. But talk about getting adrenaline going, yeah. Amazing. They're traveling through a very small space with their big heads. <laughs> yep. And um, so anyway, listen, I, there's an interesting um, op-ed p- uh, opinion comment, you know, Maureen Dowd. I always liked her. She's feisty, smart, um, yep. uh, and, uh, you know, pretty wicked sense of humor. And it's interesting that what she talked about, because I picked out an article to, to use for discussion that's, uh, oh, let's see, from June, last June. Um a columnist who t- talks about the difference between myth and parable. It's a very interesting distinction. Hmm. Okay. Um, and here we have Maureen Dowd bringing up mythology. Mm. And I'd love to get Victoria's opinion on this. Um, the title of Maureen Dowd's piece, which is in today's New York Times, is Beware the Furies, President Trump. Now, what do, we, what do you remember of the Furies, Victoria? Well, they are female, and they're in the Greek tragedies. And their job is to punish. They're, oh, yeah. they're the weavers of destiny, but they're also, they're, they can get furious. They can, they can be positive and they can be negative. And you don't, mess with the, you, don't mess with, you don't mess with these women, forces. No, because they're totally fierce. They, they get a single objective and they, and they deliver on it. And it's interesting that this comes out of Greek mythology because while in many ways... Uh, the ancient Greeks uh, deserve credit for, in a sense, creating what we call modern civilization. You know, uh, you know, and you know, we're talking thousands of years ago. You know, women were not anywhere near equal status there. Mm. Yes, they created the beginnings of democracy, and they just, you know, they were amazingly progressive for their time. But you know, women were still basically property, and so it's interesting that there would be any powerful. Female well, deities. but if you look at the whole pantheon, there's the whole difference between the divine realm and, and the human realm. In the human realm, sort of like in our real realm as opposed to what we are idealistically. But you're right, women didn't have a lot of power in Greek society. But mythically, you know, the, the, the god of love is the goddess of love. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and many female goddesses. And then you've got, you know, the, the female furies. Uh, so... Yes, they, they recognized female power, but they recognized it on that mythic level. And <laughs> in their ordinary lives, they ignored it. So, oh, at their, well, at their expense, as we know. But the, um, uh, and one of, uh, you know, I, when I first got to college, my mind was open because I was not a reader in high school. Um, I was not a thinker in high school, but I had some great professors at college who opened my mind. I started thinking for the first time in any kind of deep way. And I remember being incredibly fascinated and almost overwhelmed by the Greek tragedies. Mm. Yes. Um, uh, you know, uh, they, they are not only brilliantly written, uh, they are, they, 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 vicious and and powerful right and, and they deal with the same issues we deal with power desire for power killing when um thwarted etc right fear of death uh the uh, the limitations of the ego all that all that comes mm-hmm. and and what I, we remember from our greek tragedy classes is that the greeks understood um the importance of catharsis. Mm. Yes. And that uh, they would go to these 
amphitheaters and see these plays about the most horrific things happening, the purpose of which was not to depress people, but to get beyond the fear and the grossness and the horror of what was being shown in order to sort of purge yourself. Let right. Get those emotions out as opposed to having them pent. We know what happens when we hold our emotions in. Right. right. They eventually explode. Yeah, that's what catharsis is, the purging through the experience of feeling pity and fear. We were watching the... uh, You you pity the the people who are uh, tragically destroyed, and and you fear the forces that cause it. And through feeling those two emotions while you watch the play, the thought is at the end, when all is resolved, you and the audience have been purged. Right. Mm. Hester and I were watching a, a film, the, uh, uh, the Trojan Queen or something like that. And I said, uh-huh. gosh, you know, I don't remember how this ends. And, and Hester said, well, it's a Greek tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, pretty much you're going to die at the end. And if you don't die, you're going to be like Oedipus. You've put your eyes out and you're going to wander off. Into, <laughs> I, I want to talk uh, about that because that was the first one we read in college. And here I am, you know, basically I'd read a little Sobello, maybe a little Philip Roth. Yay, <laughs> dip my t- t- and now I'm a freshman in college and I'm reading this thing and I'm going, what? <laughs> I mean, right. I mean. Here's a play about, and you know, I always remember this, like when I have like a hangnail or something that's a little bothering, I'm starting to complain or something, Mm -hmm. or you know, uh, you know, a little stiffness or whatever. And then I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, uh, This poor guy (laughs) (laughs) doesn't realize he's married his mother. Right. And kills his father. And then has to put right. his own eyes out when because he realized how blind he's been. That's a bad day. Yeah, yeah. Well, but you know, the whole thing that they also were dealing with is hubris, excessive ah. pride. Uh-huh. And see, Oedipus, when he was young and he'd been uh, adopted because he'd been put out and, and someone found the baby, and he was adopted by a king and queen in another land. So you're right, he didn't know who his parents were. But he went to... Um, Oh, the, the, the place of the gods, uh, whatever that city is. And he asked... Perth Amboy. <laughs> yeah, right, Perth Amboy. And he asked uh, for his future, and he was told that this was his future, that he would kill uh, his father and sleep with his mother. And he decides, thinking that it's his parents who've adopted him, he must leave the land. But he thinks he can outwit the prophecy. And, and that's part of his hubris. Is that the Sphinx? In, what's that? Was that the Sphinx? Wasn't uh, there a yes, Sphinx? The, the, well, the Sphinx was the one who asked him about... The Sphinx asked riddles about uh, life, but I think it's actually... Um, oh, oh, Tiresias. The Tiresias, the blind uh, seer. <laughs> right, but Tiresias isn't the one who tells him this. He has actually gone to... Uh, what is the name of the city that they go to to talk to the gods? Um, um. Delphi. Oh, Delphi, right. He's gone to Delphi, and he gets this prophecy, and he thinks he can outwit it. So instead of just going home and never killing anyone, and maybe never sleeping with anyone, and then that would be the way he would not fulfill it, he thinks he can leave. He runs into an old man on the road who tells him to get off the road, who's in a chariot, and sort of whips at him. He, in a rage, kills this old man. You know, guess who he is, but he doesn't know that. (laughs) Then he goes to the city where he's killed the king. The city's in mourning. They have a plague. There's a beautiful queen. He doesn't recognize it's his mother. Presumably she was young when she had him. 
He marries her. He becomes the king. So, you know, it's true. He had a bad life. But <laughs> the, the <laughs> That's a bad hair day right yeah. there. But Killing the your father, marrying your mother? In such a way that it is also about someone who is arrogant, who thinks that because he's very bright, and he is very bright, he can figure things out, and he can thwart his destiny. And the Greeks would say, you can't thwart your destiny, or... I mean, the only way he could do it, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, solving a Rubik's Cube or something, is to never kill anyone. That way you won't kill your father. And to never get involved with an older woman. I mean, get the birth certificate so she can't be your mother. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> anyway, right. that's, that's my modern take on it. Right, but then now, but then the brilliant, if we know, you know, narrow-minded Sigmund Freud, comes up brilliantly and says, well, wait a minute, yep. they weren't... They weren't just creating like a story just to purge oh, people. Yeah. That actually there is an Oedipus complex, ah. and right. that and that unconsciously all. And this is where Freud went off the tracks because he was he was brilliant. He deserves all the credit for starting psychoanalysis and publishing one of the most influential books in the his one of the ten most influential books ever published, ah. which was the Interpretation of Dreams, which mm-hmm. not only got people into trying to understand their dreams. But it influenced Picasso and and Brock and th- that you know and the whole um, uh, what was their movement uh, the, the Cubism and yeah. it had a direct effect on on maybe the most revolutionary uh, piece of music ever composed, uh, which was the Rite of Spring by Stravinsky, where in like 1912 about a third of the people left another third started throwing things at the people <laughs> and we should play right. some of it because it's now it's considered now it's considered a classic but it was so modern that it, it freaked people out it freaked out their ears um uh, uh you know so freud had this huge influence and freud basically said that all boys have an unconscious desire to kill to sleep with their mothers and kill their fathers that what sophocles hey. was getting at thousands of years ago was not just to purge people of of violent emotions, but that he was actually getting at an important part of the psyche of the human being. Yeah. Mm. And um, you know what's really interesting, though. I mean, Freud did come up with that, and that's brilliant, and and probably to some degree true. You know, all these little boys who say, "I want to marry mommy," they don't say they want to kill their father, but they have dreams about big bears chasing them down the road and things that they want to kill that are father figures. But in the play itself, Yocasta, his mother and wife. When he starts telling her about his fears, because he doesn't fear her, but he fears, what if I go back and do that to my parents? And you know, this, and, and she says to him, all men dream this, hmm. so don't worry about it. Wow. And I once pointed that out to a colleague who had taught the play many times, and he said, no, that's not in the play. I said, no, it's in the translation I have. No, that's not in the play. He had the same translation I had. I finally I said, okay, look. Here is the line where she says it, and he's like, he had missed it. Hmm. He had missed that one line in the play. It was maybe too shocking. Right, right. It's, that's how the unconscious works. Right. It edits out what we can't deal but with. But that the Greeks had put that in. Right. That, that's, that Sophocles, who wrote it, so they were ahead of their time. All or men we were talking about. I'm, I'm going to guess somewhere around sixth century BC, something like that. Uh, no, hmm. it would be um, in the. 5th century B.C. Ah, I was <laughs> off by a B.C. 5th, 6th. I was off by a B.C. <laughs> um, but, no, but th- thank you for the, but the, the, the point is, it's a long time ago. Yeah. And, yeah. 
<laughs> and how um, these Sophocles and then Aeschylus and Euripides, the three great, you know, uh, playwrights right. of Greek tragedy, what, how they were able to get at the human psyche. It took, and it, but it really took Freud to kind of really elucidate all this stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, and we have all these violent tendencies. So why are we talking about this? Well, it's fun to talk about it, but also <laughs> Maureen Dowd in her um, opinion column in today's New York Times brings up a different myth with the myth of Uranus. Mm-hmm. And um, um, and the reason she's bringing it up is in talking about f- four young women who were elected to Congress in the last midterms who um, she is comparing to the Furies because they're having none of this compromise. They're having they're not taking any gruff from Trump uh, or even from their centrist Democratic colleagues. They're basically mm. they they basically feel they've been elected to overturn the apple cart. Yeah. Wow. And <clears throat> and I say go for it because the, we've talked about the center cannot hold the H for. But anyway, we'll get to, we'll get to Marine in a second. But this is why this 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 build up and talking about ancient Greek myths is so cool and important. And it brings me back to why I love my freshman year at college, <laughs> being 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 introduced to things like the Iliad and the Odyssey and and um. Uh, Oedipus, Rex, and some of these other tragedies that are so perversely powerful and overwhelming and almost like you're saying, this is too much. This is over the (laughs) top. No, it isn't. This is who we are if we're we're willing to look in the mirror. And as my great self-defense teacher, uh, John Perkins, said, you know, uh, if you look into what you fear, right, it'll never defeat you if you really face it. Um, it's when we hide from it. It's when, or when we're blind to it, uh-huh. as Odysseus was. Odysseus was not, didn't lack courage. He lacked insight. That was the the point of this play. It's not about your physical strength. Odysseus right. makes it home not because he was the strong. He was plenty strong. He wasn't the strongest warrior. Achilles was. Odysseus right. was the smartest, or the or the why he was the one who could see who who had a vision, who could see through the surface of things. And that's what got him home, not just his physical strength. Yeah. Right, right. And um, his cleverness, his insight. And yeah. so these, these Greeks, who really are the progenitors of what we call modern civilization in the West, East, a whole other thing, uh, a very important thing, you know, Taoism and Buddhism and Zen. Um, but... Um, this is this is who we are in Western civilization. And I remember just being totally freaked out and and overwhelmed, but also inc- so fascinated by this whole Greek stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. and it comes up when we come back from our break. It'll come up in, in Maureen Dowd's take. And I, I think it's a smart one on these four women Congress people who are a very different breed <laughs> from even previous yeah. women who've been elected. Uh, mm-hmm. They are more like the Furies, and the Furies are not about let's talk this out. Right? <laughs> there, you either you either straighten up, or we will straighten you out. Yeah. Exactly. And it ain't going to be pretty. And so uh, we'll get to that and some other issues here on a beautiful Sunday morning, storm-ridden Woodstock Roundtable. Breathing air, but there's no sign 
Uh, this is the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Grunther, your host. And um, <clears throat> we're having some fun here on a on a snow and uh, storm-driven yeah. Sunday morning. If you're just waking up, um, at least here in the Woodstock-Kingston area, we got a little less than they predicted. I guess we got about six inches. Yeah. It's very light snow, which was good for shoveling. Here's the tricky part. Uh, it got very warm. When I got here at the station, it was actually kind of raining. A little freezing. And rain. so there's going to be freezing and ice. And even though the Department of Transportation has done a magnificent job clearing the roads and will continue to and salting the roads, et cetera, uh, even, you know, even though it was a relatively safe drive here, there were times when the, you know, the car would slip and you couldn't really tell where the ice was. So it's not a good day to be driving. The best bet is to stay home. Yeah. And uh, we're having fun here on the radio. Um, our co-host who joins us uh, every other week is home in her cottage in Saugerties because a tough place to get out of today. Victoria Sullivan, and uh, who's our poet laureate, so she'll be doing a poem for us. Ron is here. Ron Van Warmer engineers our show, and you recognize his voice because he does a lot of the music programming here on the weekends here at Radio Woodstock. And we're talking about the great Greek tragedies, particularly Oedipus Rex, um, and the Furies because of a column um, that we're going to discuss by Maureen Dowd, the opinion columnist of the New York Times, and talking about the Furies. And, um, yeah, they were the, the female deities who, um, if you didn't respect them, they would uh, kill you. And or wreak havoc on not your lot, life. Not a lot of compromise from them. So, um, right. We bring this up because the title of Marine Dowd's column is Beware the Furies, President Trump. After I'd been writing a column for a few years, a male boss gave me a T-shirt depicting the Furies swooping. He didn't mean it as a compliment. The three sisters, the infernal goddesses of ancient mythology, born from the blood shed by Uranus when he was castrated by his son. Let's stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> is this a Greek tragedy? It is. I'd say so. So I was looking up Uranus. <clears throat> which is our seventh planet, of course, uh, from the sun. But he was the god of the sky. And he was both, the, this is sort of like what we get out of Oedipus, he was both the son and the husband of Gaia, Mother Earth. Mm. <clears throat> so let me look this up here. Um, right, this is more myth than tragedy. I don't think there's a tragedy on him. Oh, it depends how you look at it. Well, okay, but I'm saying I don't think one of those playwrights wrote a tragedy. No, that's correct. This was, right. He's, <laughs> I'm being very literal-minded. <clears throat> well, Hesiod was the great chronicler of these Greek myths, Greek myths who we read also in college. Uh-huh. And um, <clears throat> here we go. All right. In Greek legend, the goddess Gaia, Earth, had come out of chaos, the great void of emptiness within the universe. She gives birth to Uranus, who's the heaven and the sky, um, but without a mate, uh, Uranus, the first ruler of the universe, the eldest son of Guy, was also her husband. Hmm. <laughs> she couldn't help it. Right. So right away, right. things are going to get a little weird. <laughs> well, what Uranus did was he came every night to cover the earth. He had intercourse with Gaia. Gaia gives birth to the 12, what are called the Titans, right? Who were very right. strong males. The, then she gives birth to, to some females as well. The males were um, of great size and might, and so Uranus is jealous and fearful of his sons uh -huh. that they might overtake him, right? Mm -hmm. 
So he hid them in a secret place of the earth, which was a very dismal place. And he rejoiced in his evil doing. Um, well, Gaia finds out about this, right? Yeah. And is not too pleased. If hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, forget about a mother scorned, okay? <laughs> and so she convinces the Titans, her sons, to castrate Uranus. Right. And they throw his, geni- his bloody genitals into the sea. All right. Which eventually gives rise, all that froth gives rise to Aphrodite. So it's interesting. Ah. Talk about <laughs> understanding the depths ah. of life. Out of horrific <laughs> chaos and destruction comes beauty. Beauty doesn't come out of right. some New Age hallmark you know, card. Uh-huh. Right? Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty, is born out of the froth and blood of um, Uranus's generals who've been castrated by his sons. Okay? So is this a parable? Mm-hmm. This or? is not a Gilbert and Sullivan operetta. <laughs> this, this is like a mythic thing. It's not exactly a parable. Right, this is it's myth. It's a myth. It's but a it, story. It's an origin story. That's what myths <clears throat> are often, origin stories. Right, and we'll get to the difference between myth and parable in a moment. Okay. But, um, <clears throat> so this is anyway, and this creates furies, etc. So this is the background of Maureen Dowd's poem. <clears throat> Washington, D.C. has now been infused with the spirit of the Furies. After many false springs and discouraging backlashes, we are finally experiencing a revolutionary assertion of women's power that is transforming Congress. Kill Bill style, the fiery Democratic women keep coming, driven by vengeance against the wicked man in the White House with a history of hurting women and swearing false oaths. (laughs) Swooping toward 2020 the moment of truth for Donald Trump that is also aptly the centennial of women's suffrage. How interesting is that? Yeah. Yes. Women are gathering force at a giddy speed. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from the city, New York City, upset winner uh, uh, of the Democratic nomination. She, she, for the nomination, no one expected that she beat a experienced politician man. Her f- fellow freshman lawmakers, Katie Hill of California, Lauren Underwood of Illinois, and Johanna Hayes of Connecticut, tracked Mitch McConnell to petition him to have a vote to reopen the government. They literally were looking for him in the congressional <laughs> offices. The Senate Majority Leader has been trying to uh, lay low as Trump thrashes about pulling the rug out from under him. Um, it was another jangly uh, media stunt that irritated some of her colleagues but fired up the fa- meme factory. Um, this is uh, Alexandria. She broadcast the scavenger hunt on Instagram with the hashtag, where's Mitch? (laughs) (laughs) Um, when Alexandria tweeted that a Getty photo of the women storming halls of Congress looked like a Spice Girls album cover, Hill tweeted back her own remix of the Brit pop girl power anthem wannabe. Uh, Alexandria picked it up, tweeting another verse. Now, don't go wasting our precious time. If they get their act together, we would just be fine. The day before, at a nearby hotel, Bernie Sanders sneaked in through an employee entrance to listen in agonizing detail to women who had worked for him in 2016, 2016 as they leveled charges under the watchful eyes of three female facilitators about sexism, harassment, and sexual violence on the campaign. The disgusted women, fed up with Sanders' deflections, made it clear that if he didn't take their stories seriously, he might be sitting out 2020. 
So these uh, wow. these accusations are not specifically against Bernie Sanders, correct? Against but the, the campaign. campaign, right? That he has not, according to them, fully vetted, right? So if they're willing to go after Bernie, they're going to you imagine yeah. they're going after how they're going to go after Trump. Yeah. Um, as Kirsten Gillibrand, Elizabeth Warren, and Kamala Harris, all of whom have uh, you know said they're running for president. Dominated the 2020 talk, Beto O'Rourke tried to get out of his funk and reclaim his mojo as Democrats' main crush. Um, but um, let's see. Anyway, it goes on. The, the point is that, and I got to give Nancy Pelosi credit. I was never a huge fan of hers, but I think she's been playing it pretty good. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Since, you know, uh, uh, you know be, and, and if she, she, she's a smart cookie. She knows her her time is limited. She's in her mid seventies, and she sees. We think we'll see that playing centrist politics the way the Clintons like to do, mm-hmm. and the way the Democratic National Committee still likes to do, is going to wreak havoc. Because <clears throat> the the point is, <clears throat> we talk about the Great Yates pub. The center cannot hold. Trump, to his credit. Never gives in. He doesn't sort of like wishy-wash things, right? right. He tells you, he, he lies all the time, <laughs> but he tells you, but he cannot help but reveal the truth about who he is. He doubles downs on his own lies. Right. Even when they're shown And he said to Lester Holt famously in a national interview, yeah, I, fi- I fired Comey because of this Russian thing. Right. So um, if we think, so on one level, I can understand, although I 100% disagree with, the premise that, look, Trump is so bad, he's so radically right, to the right, that we would do well to put in a centrist Democrat just to calm things down a little bit. Right. I understand that that's logical, but it ain't going to work. Yeah. Because there's too much anger out there, there's too much frustration out there, and there's too much huge change hitting us in the face every day. You see, that's the part that no one wants to talk about. That <clears throat> the same forces that may be leading us towards the next renaissance are also causing mass global anxiety. Namely, the sped up, digitalized world of globalized, uh, the globalized village. Um, we are getting more and more closely connected to each other, kicking and screaming. And we are mammals. Yeah. And mammals freak out when their space is crowded and that's true and we're gonna have to learn to deal with this stuff or we're gonna just beat each other over the head into a bloody pulp this is not going to be quiet and pretty and calm so you think if they if the democrats nominate someone like joe biden that trump is very likely to win i'm not going to say very likely to win but it gives him the best chance of winning yeah because you know what's going to happen and joe biden's a perfectly nice guy yeah right but this is the point of maureen's calm beware the furies she says, beware the furies, President Trump. But I think it would be just as accurate to say, beware the furies, Democratic National Committee. Mm-hmm. Because right. if but, they you know, tr- I think that there's a problem here, <clears throat> just as Trump, in part one, because he had that 30, 33 percent of people who love his ideas, because by my lights, they're, you know, backward, etc. If these women represent a strong, we'll call it progressive, but you're calling it the Furies movement, but something between progressive and Furies, they're, they're far left. Uh, if they get a wild group behind them as big as he got behind him, i.e. 33%, that's not enough to win. This is the problem for the Democrats, is that I agree that the energy 
is with that part of the party, but are the numbers with that part of the party? Yeah, but you see, the very point you're making, in a sense, undercuts it, because Trump won. <laughs> so so the, he got that craziness, and then he got something else. Of course. Now, you see, the point is... So that, that, but can these crazy... Um, well, if Trump can, if the right, if a right wing radical can do it, why can't a left wing radical do it? Well, that would be good. I hope so. Right. so <laughs> one of the things, though, that you've said is that what we really have, and we obviously have it in uh, the legislature right now, is that there is such division, such extreme hate and rage on both sides that it keeps leading to paralysis. It doesn't lead to any kind of fusion. That's the small picture. In the big picture, the only way you get significant change is through chaos. And we'd like to think that that chaos doesn't have to be bloody, physical war, which was the only solution throughout history until recently. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> okay? So um, the, the point is that if we're looking at change, whether it's the, ch- the in- internal psychological change of an individual human being or how a culture changes, um, it's never through small, gradual, incremental bits. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's a leap. And leaps can only happen when the footing underneath has totally doesn't work anymore. It requires a leap, not a step. And a lot of us feel that we're at a point in human history, and certainly in terms of America's history, where it's time for a leap, not not a step back to a calm place. And right. I, I understand the call for that. I understand that. I would love to... a leap. I'm with you on what that desire. Well, leaps I are just... never comfortable. They're never clean. And they're I don't never know if predictable. we can pull it off. That remains to be seen. But we have a better chance of pulling it off if we kind of recognize some of these forces that are happening. And uh-huh. the point that Maureen is making is, you see, we, and why I'm glad we have you here to help fill in some of the <laughs> gaps on Greek myth is because in addition to the fact that we have a left-right polarity in our culture, this the Me Too movement is alive and well, and this has to do with a male-female gap. Right. Right. And and so these four women congressmen who are all young, all bright, and all are not interested in taking any prisoners, right? Mm-hmm. Right. right. They're furious. Um, <laughs> the the point is that not only is this fury directed against Trump as a right wing politician, but as a predatory male. Yes, that's. And true. if we don't think that there are some psychological, mythological forces at work here. We're blind. Do you think that these women have a responsibility to to toe the line somewhat with the Democratic Party since they ran as Democratic candidates? Sure, but their job is to pull the Democratic Party to, towards the more progressive end. Because as we know, the Democratic National Committee, that they made a slight change with these right. superdelegates. Think about this. You complain about the Republican Party being didactic and controlled by a very small center. The Democrats have superdelegates, meaning people who were not elected, who get to run the convention. Right. Okay? That's monarchy. Okay? That's closer to monarchy than democracy. And so they were called out on this. And what they did was they compromised. They said, okay, the superdelegates will have no say in the first ballot. But if nobody wins on the first ballot... The superdelegates will have votes. 
Well, that's going to cause a revolution within the Democratic Party because it's undemocratic. Uh And the Democratic National Committee would like nothing better than Joe Biden to be their nominee. Right. And maybe he will be. I don't think it'll work. Yeah. Because I'll I'll give you a specific example. My sister, I'll have to get her on the air. (laughs) She is way to the left of me, and I'm pretty far left, right? She would not vote for Hillary Clinton against Donald Trump. Huh. And her reason was, and I totally understood it. I said, but wait a minute. I agree with you on everything, but I'm voting for Hillary holding my nose. First of all, my vote doesn't count because I'm in New York. Right. The Electoral College sucks. Yep. Okay. Because whether I voted or not, she was going to win New York State. But right. of course, I vote. I voted for her for one reason. That was the Supreme Court. When I brought that up with my sister, who's a, a teacher, and very, she said, sorry, not a good enough reason. I'm not voting for her. I can't. She's, she's, she's aristocratic. She's totally into money. She's not for progressive change. She parses everything. She pulls everything to the center. I've had it. Yeah. And I, got, I get it. And now we're four years later, and um, we're not saying that to be successful in politics, you don't have to compromise. You do. But look what Nancy Pelosi's doing. She's never been this progressive. No, she hasn't. And in the past, she would have been powerful, had enough power to say to and, and what is she? She's not just it's not just what she says. It's who she gives um, powerful positions in, in Congress to who she puts in as committee chair people. Mm-hmm. And she's given prog- the, the progressives of her party real power. Right. Um, and it's going to be interesting to play out because within the Democratic Party, there's going to be a huge fight to pull the back to the center. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, but 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 if but let's let's finish out Maureen Dowd's column because she, she, um, uh, and okay after three weeks of Nancy Pelosi out trolling Trump on the government shutdown polls showed an erosion of his base interesting um, I mean it was pretty gutsy not only for her in that photo op in the White House to stare him in the face and say you know and accuse him of you know if you close the government it's on you and he said well, fine it's on me yeah um, she she really you know outplayed him in that then she disinvited him from giving this the uh, and i didn't realize this that it's the speaker of the house who invites the president to give the uh-huh. uh state of the union it's not an automatic uh-huh. right well she said she didn't just disinvite him she said he'd have to put it off giving him time to open the government right but she disinvited him until he opens the government. And then he canceled exactly. her trip right. to she Afghanistan. She totally used the invitation as a power play. Which, you know, uh, we, she knew was going to get a big backlash. It was a, it was a, it was a courageous move. But yeah. you know what? That's, th- that's the point. With Pelosi and the legislative Spice Girls, that's the four freshmen, <laughs> providing the contrast with the ranks of House women depleted in the GOP, with Steve King getting his comeuppance for racist comments, the Republicans look more like, than ever like a 1950s mahogany-paneled, smoke-filled bourbon and branch water party. <laughs> that's Maureen Dowd, all right. Suburban yeah. Republican women who turned on Trump in the midterms won't be lured back by the news that thousands more migrant children have been separated from parents at the southern border and by images of the president beaming into the annual march against the women's right to choose at the National Mall Friday. The vice president of his wife, by there's a piece of work. Yeah. The vice president and his wife were on stage at the mall and Karen Pence started a new job teaching art at a Virginia Christian school that is intolerant of LGBT students and parents. Mm. Okay, the vice president's wife is teaching at a school that's anti-gay. Right. Wow. So um, this is going to be fun. This, this is, is a Greek be, tragedy. Oh, it, it, it's, it, it's going to have elements of Greek tragedy. 
But as what, you say this, I sort of picture Nancy Pelosi as the the Earth Mother now, as Gaia, Gaia yeah. uh-huh, as, yeah. as the older woman who <laughs> can be, you know, the, to some ways the, the model maternal, for these younger the, the, women. The maternal figure, uh-huh. because where you're right, Victoria, is while I am rooting for the four Spice Girls to really kick some ass in Congress and not just play it nice. Um, well, they won't play it nice, that's for sure. The fact of the <laughs> matter is that at some point, in order to win elections, right, you need to get that small section of people. They used to be called Reagan Democrats. They used to be called right. blue-collar Democrats. Um, you got to win them. And the reason Trump won the election is because, with the help of Russian um, uh, insight. <laughs> yes. insight. See, this is so interesting. The Russians helped elect a president of the United States not by sending uh, warships over uh-huh. or ICBM missiles, but by sending over information. Yeah, yep. I'm going to repeat this because it's crucial. While Hillary Clinton was partying down in Philadelphia the night before the election with Bruce Springsteen and John Cougar Mellencamp, Trump was off to a rural area of Wisconsin. And I remember thinking, what's he doing there? Uh-huh. Because he had the information that Hillary should have had. Yeah. That the key votes were among blue collar Democrats and Trump won them. These were people who had voted for Obama four years before who didn't vote for Hillary and voted for Trump. Yeah. So it's yes, those are the leverage people. But first you have to first you have to really get your your furious base in line and trump had his he had the evangelicals yeah. and why do, why do the evangelicals love trump who wouldn't know the bible if it hit him in the head and is an avowed womanizer uh, very simple the christian right is not about christianity it's about white male power right and they're mm. scared to death that now over 50 percent of americans born in this country are non-white and they're scared of immigrants yeah. And so Trump brilliantly and sadistically uh, played that up. And presumably and they're afraid of powerful women as well. You bet they are. And so... Um, women have a place. But I, do, I, in the White I, House. I, I don't know this, but I'd be willing to bet that if the Democrats chicken out and put up a centrist candidate, even a likable guy like Joe Biden... Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a good chance Trump will get reelected, or Pence if Trump's gone by. By then, I think it's an age thing too. I don't think they're going to get a candidate in his seventies. I, I think that enough of them realize that. Well, a compromise for a young centrist ain't going to work. Right. There's too much. Well, fury, there's too much fury out there. That they try and polyp, put put a progressive robe upon. Well, in it, other words, okay, people can change their identity somewhat uh, uh, and i think well, you're right that someone who's just a clear centrist and who says they're a centrist that's not going to be popular well but yeah there's but, going to be some centrists moving left okay but if but if it's not realistic if it's somebody whose voting record has been centrist all along and now all of a sudden they're trying to wear the clothing of a progressive then it's going to be we're going to see right through it and, okay. And I was I don't know how this is going to play out, <laughs> but I'm just <laughs> saying don't. I'm just saying that l- look at what's already happened. Okay? 
how the hell did this guy get elected president? I, I understand it's the Electoral College and he didn't win the popular vote. Not the point. There's no way Hillary Clinton, a seasoned politician, should have lost that election. Right. And a lot of it was her fault. She put together a campaign that didn't use what Obama used, which was which was really smart Internet marketing. They went to the old Democratic playbook of 30 years ago. Mm. And it was it was really stupid. Yeah. Didn't work. Um, so the fact is that it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting ride. And it ain't gonna, we're going to talk about the difference in Greek and parable. Why Greek myths are so relevant still and why Freud had that right. Yeah. Because not only these are not just for women, which who they represent. They represent millions. And the Me Too movement is not is not going to go away. And thousands of years of fury that women have against um, uh, male dominance is not going to is not going to go away. No, it's going to start and it's going to start getting expressed uh, more dramatically. And um, how we deal with that's going to be very interesting. Yes, it is. We'll t- we'll be right back. <laughs> Thank you. 